Why, hello, and welcome to a somewhat irregular installment of Charlottesville Community Engagement that brings you a condensed version of an Albemarle County Planning Commission where the full weight of a neighborhood was brought out to oppose a multifamily development next door. I'm your host, Sean Tubbs, and the intent of this episode is to document what happened. We'll be back to the regular format next time, but when I first started doing podcasts in 2005, I wanted to be able to capture conversations that happen in the public realm and try to make them a little bit more accessible. And this one seemed important to spend time on. Let's hear a few of the voices that you'll hear in this program. It's deficient and unacceptable. And I would be looking at those big, quite frankly, ugly buildings. It only really benefits the developer's uh, profit and, and outcome from this development. Those who are here, we enforce lakes. Um, do we deserve to be harmed? And I just want to be clear that I want to figure out a way to get to yes. On March 2nd, 2021, the Albemarle County Planning Commission was just moments away from recommending denial of a rezoning of nearly 20 acres of land on US-29 to make way for 370 housing units. The land is currently zoned for single-family residential, and the county's comprehensive plan designates future uses could have a residential density of between 6 and 36 units per acre. The proposal from RST Development came in at just under 20 units per acre. At the end of the meeting, attorney Valerie Long asked to defer a vote in order to give RST Development time to make adjustments after the Forest Lakes Community Association mounted a campaign to stop the development. According to their November 2020 newsletter, a portion of a proposed increase in homeowners association fees for Forest Lakes residents was used to hire a consultant to conduct an independent professional review of the proposal. Many of these materials are available on the FLCA website. At the same time, Albemarle County is updating its affordable housing policy with a public hearing on the draft plan set for March 17th before the Board of Supervisors. Plans are one thing, but the actual ability for Albemarle and any other locality to meet their affordable housing goals depends on specific applications being approved. Before we begin, let me let you know what you're about to read or hear is an edited portion of the meeting. You can watch the whole thing on the county's YouTube page. You can also take a look at the staff report on the county's website. Staff had recommended denial of the project at this time. What you won't find in that staff report is new details about provisions and subsidies that would have kept the rental prices below market rate. The federal definition of affordable is that rents would be no more than 30% of the occupant's household income, based on a metric known as the area median income. On the day of the hearing, I asked attorney Valerie Long for more details about the affordability, and I got them. She wrote this in an email. The owner will commit to at least 75% of the apartment units will be affordable to those making between 30% and 80% of the area median income, with an average of 60% of the area median income for 30 years. The project proposes 254 apartment units. 75% of 254 apartments is 190 units. In addition, it is our hope that the 108 for-sale townhouse units proposed will be affordable to those making 80% of the area median income. 
In her email, Long acknowledged that staff had not yet received the material. Now, let's get to the tape from Tuesday night. Following a brief staff report from planner Andy Reitelbach, an official with RST Development explained that the intent of the project was to provide housing to people with a wide range of incomes. Here's Scott Copeland. The opportunities that we're creating for ourselves with this wide range um, does provide for, for you know, that opportunity with teachers and firefighters and first responders, etc. Affordability came up several times during the two-hour public hearing, but the tenor of the discussion was set by a nearly 90-minute presentation where different representatives from the Forest Lakes community took turns reading from a prepared script. They were led by Scott Elliff, the treasurer of the Forest Lakes Community Association. In all, six out of seven of the board of directors of the FLCA would speak. Elif has previously led campaigns against interconnectivity with other neighborhoods. In 2016, the neighborhood was successful in preventing a trailhead from being built as part of the Brook Hill neighborhood, which was approved by the Board of Supervisors that November and is currently under construction. However, the neighborhood was not successful in stopping a road connection that leads north from Brook Hill onto Ashwood Boulevard. You'll hear more about that as we continue. Elif kicked off a long string of comments from Forest Lakes residents who all took turns reading from a PowerPoint presentation supplied to the county in advance. We have a lot of ground to cover because there are so many issues regarding this proposal that uh, that we have. It's deficient and unacceptable in numerous different areas, and you're going to see that in, in great detail. At first, the county officials struggled to display the presentation provided by the FLCA, and a brief break was taken to address technical errors. Carolyn Schaefer runs the meetings for the county. Can you go ahead and get started on what you're talking about? All the well, yeah, we all, we're all going to want to use the, the visuals that we created specifically for this, of course. Many of our comments relate very specifically to the charts and analysis and examples that we've created just specifically for this tonight. Okay. The visual presentation was highly coordinated and stage managed by Elif. Introducing each person, we have a page with their name on it. So okay. you don't you don't use need to use the other name stuff. I set that up so you can just roll through this this presentation, you know, okay, kind of fully great. contained. Yeah. Okay. I still have to I still have to do the three minute timer. So of course, of course. And all yeah. and our people all know that as well. So okay. Perfect. Okay. All right. All right thank well, you. Just three more minutes and we'll get started again. Sure. I know this is fun. So thanks. Uh-huh. Before we go further, let's review the rules of procedure for the planning commission, especially two lines which are worth noting here. Each other person speaking on a matter shall be allowed one appearance, not to exceed three minutes. A speaker may not reserve any time for rebuttal or transfer any time to another speaker. After several minutes of getting the presentation to be visible, the clock started. Elif was the first of 27 speakers. He was also the seventh and the 14th. Our HOA board presidents will speak, and you have a number of volunteer residents that are going to talk about very specific topics. I've done a bunch of research. Uh, we're going to have charts and analyses and examples and, and all kinds of things, including a couple areas where we actually contracted our HOA for outside uh, professional support uh, just for this meeting. Elif said the FLCA acknowledges that the parcel is in the county's designated growth area, but that the current proposal was out of scale. He said the new affordability provisions had no effect on the FLCA's opposition to the project. He spoke for nearly four minutes before Schaefer cut him off. 
uh, this is going to create just a tremendous amount of traffic potentially between Brook Hill. Because there are so many speakers, I have to, I have to stop you. Yes, thank you. So I'm happy to go on. Thank you. Next, I have Mike. Speaker after speaker explained how they felt this development would hurt their community. Here's Mike Turbidy, a member of the FLCA Board of Directors. The 350 additional new housing units uh, at this time, I think, is simply too much and it's too soon. I would be looking at those big, quite frankly, ugly buildings. That's Sheila Katz. She then read aloud from comments made from those who signed a petition against the development. Traffic is going to be backed up actually to my development. I don't know how I'm going to get out in the morning. Um, the, it's just too, it's too many cars. Next, this is a poorly designed, ugly, and excessive development that benefits no one except a handful of opportunists, ignoring what is best for our special community. Helen Marie Field also read from other comments from the position. I am very passionate about my opposition to this proposed development. I grew up in Northern Virginia, specifically Vienna, and I have watched the terrible overdevelopment over the years. After graduating from UVA, I stayed in Charlottesville specifically because of its charm and the character of Albemarle County. But this is being threatened more and more each year. Here's Mark Manley. Doesn't fit the neighborhood. These buildings are huge. Kat Smith called the current proposal heavy-handed and ham-fisted. We used a balloon and raised it up uh, to the height of the buildings as the developers have um, indicated they would be. And uh, you can just barely see it there on that slide on full screen, but it is well above what is an eight-foot privacy fence, which is directly behind um, some of the homes in, in Cricklewood Court. Can you please go to the next slide? The next speaker was George Purcell, but he had difficulties being heard. So Scott Eliff was given the chance to take his turn to keep the slide presentation running on track. Scott, would you like to take George's comments since we can't hear him? I'm sure I can do that. Okay. Just two Your pages. Time starts now. Right. He's the president of the Ashland HOA. Ashland, George's point primarily is that the scale of this, just as Kat mentioned beforehand, is, is overwhelming and, and huge. Uh, compared to one-story residential townhouses uh, that are in this area. Elena DeLiso objected to the density and asked that the development include more open space. Green space is important for people's physical and mental wellness. A less crowded environment results in a better community, reducing the potential for conflicts related to disputes over noise, parking spaces, traffic, snow removal, pets, and other situations created by packing more people into smaller areas. One of the consultants hired for the project is also a resident of Forest Lakes. Here's Vlad Gavrilovich of EPR PC. FLCA hired us to do a visualization and an analysis of the proposed development, and we were also asked to do a professional assessment of the proposed plan, and there are some concerns we found from the plan and where it deviated from what I'd call professional best practices. Gavrilovich said EPRPC rewrote the plans and found that a maximum of 200 units were all that would fit on the property. We think that's a much more reasonable yield for property using professional design standards. I'm sorry, your time is up. 
Forest Lakes resident Alice Keyes compared the proposal to the Places 29 master plan and made this interpretation. This proposed development may meet the density required in the comprehensive and Places 29 plan, but it does not respect scale and character of the existing surrounding neighborhoods. Lifelong Albemarle resident Paul Merrill said he was one of the first to move into Forest Lakes back in 1993. Uh, the proposed development is definitely not similar to this neighborhood or the livability. It is an instead example of urban sprawl, um, not in character with the neighborhood that we have now. Merrill acknowledged that growth is going to occur. He said there were other locations for affordable housing in Albemarle and Charlottesville. It only really benefits the developer's uh, profit and, and outcome from this development. Steve Cameron also said the proposal did not conform to the Places 29 plan. At five stories, the two central buildings of the development already are proposed to exceed the maximum recommended height for the land use designation in the master plan. Sue Friedman recently concluded 10 years on the FLCA board and was just appointed to the Places 29 North Community Advisory Committee. She raised concerns over equity. The development as proposed requires special exceptions, which are common in the land use application process. What is the trade-off in harming an existing development, Forest Lakes, versus giving developer concessions? And um, what is the expense that we're willing to have those who already live here bear for this new development, particularly looking at uh, traffic and the aesthetic scope and scale. So again, in terms of how the county and the planning process addresses equity, um, those who are here, we in Forest Lakes, um, do we deserve to be harmed? Um, Do we deserve to have um, challenges and um, expenses um, to benefit a new development? The next scheduled speaker was also not available. So Scott Eliff was given another chance to read someone else's remarks. Next we have, um, it's supposed to be Bob Jones, but Scott is going to speak again because Bob was not able to make the meeting. Eliff proceeded to speak about the traffic study the FLCA commissioned from EPR to challenge the traffic study that RST had developed. He said the developer study did not factor in new development in the Brook Hill community under construction to the south. We actually asked the developer to run an alternative scenario for us just so we could understand the potential. And they frankly um, um, declined to do that specifically. Um, So we spent our own good money to contract it. Um, Same model, just some different inputs. Next slide, please. At this point, Elif is the 14th speaker reading from the same PowerPoint presentation. The 15th consecutive speaker is Jane Keithy, another member of the FLCA board. I feel like this RST development as planned is a poor fit for the space at that intersection. There are too many planned units and it will uh, not be able to be adequately accommodated by the local surroundings as we've been describing here this evening. Could I have the first slide? That's Paula Grazzini, as she took her turn in the coordinated presentation. She said the Planning Commission needed to take into consideration the additional traffic that will come from the Brook Hill development as units are occupied by new residents. Grazzini detailed the EPR traffic study. 
And we feel that the majority of people living in those areas are going to choose Archer and Ashwood as their uh, morning rush hour route to reach 29, whether they're going north or south. Next, Bill Wench of EPR was on hand to talk about the traffic study that the FLCA commissioned his firm to produce. And really the purpose was to run some uh, what-if scenarios. Um, and you've heard a little bit about this from, the, from the, the prior few speakers there. Bill McLaughlin, the 18th speaker, is another new member of the Places 29 North Community Advisory Committee. And he sits on the board of directors of the Hollymead Citizens Association. He said the density of the proposed development raised health concerns. My concern is for the health of the people who, be, who will be living there in relation to the threat posed by airborne viruses similar to the one causing the current pandemic. As planned, this proposal simply has too many people and not enough space. As we are all well aware, the current pandemic has struck most heavily at the central workers that cannot work from home and often work closely with the public. And of course, it is just these people who most often live in high density houses. The 19th speaker was Rich DeMeglio. When his time began, the presentation wasn't quite right. So next slide, please. I've lived in, um, I'm sorry, maybe go back. I think my slides got a little out of order. Go back two slides, please. There you go. DeMeglio continued with concerns about traffic congestion and the impacts of a new development on Ashwood Boulevard, as well as the Brook Hill development. Adding yet another connector road to Ashwood from this RST development will only serve to exasperate the traffic problem and could cause accidents as cars are attempting to turn and merge together in a rather confined area of space where there's a bend in the road and some difficult areas uh, for visibility. Deborah Bremer was the 20th speaker named to speak in the PowerPoint. We are now 70 minutes into the presentation. I'm concerned that if this development is approved, that our overcrowded schools will become more overcrowded and our property values will be negatively affected. Speaker 21 was Tamara Hammond, who said approving the development would be against the spirit of the recently adopted Climate Action Plan. Uh, Slide one, please. One of the main themes of the Climate Action Plan is to protect our local natural environment. It also states that the plan is as much about the kind of place we want to live in here in Albemarle County as it is about reducing the community's contributions to global greenhouse gas emissions. Dick Billings is another member of the FLCA board, and as the 22nd consecutive speaker, he showed a topographic overview of the property. This represents, first of all, the highest ground in the local area. So every bit of rainfall that uh, hits uh, this development has to run off to somewhere. Billings reminded the Planning Commission that the development of the Hollymead Town Center in the 2000s resulted in stormwater that carried dirt and sediment into Lake Hollymead. And uh, we don't want to see that again. What we would like to see is uh, any plan going forward have a requirement for 100% remediation of any damage uh, to the local area. Gail Hayes does not live in the development, but her parents do. We're now at 80 minutes into the presentation. You'll hear me echo some of what uh, Vlad Gavrilovic, Tamara Hammond, and Dick Billions 
excuse me, Dick Billing said. Um, bottom line up front is I believe that the plan is not acceptable as it has been presented and should not be moved forward until substantial changes have been made. The 24th speaker, Todd McGee, is a realtor who also sits on the FLCA board. Unfortunately, this project would have a negative impact on the value of the homes that border the site. The proposed development will have a negative impact on the value of any home that is directly adjacent to the site. The 25th speaker was Donna Cameron, who, along with her husband, chose Forest Lakes because of its amenities. I'm here to address the intangible and unmeasurable human impact that this proposed development has upon the Forest Lakes residents. We knew the area behind us was zoned residential and would someday be developed, Um, but we trusted in the integrity of the 29 master plan. We never dreamed that waivers, special exclusions, or expanded stepbacks would create austere concrete high rises that would breach our privacy, invade the dark skies, and potentially cause runoff flooding. The 26th speaker is Paul Maruza, the president of the Hollymead Homeowners Association. He said his neighborhood would also be affected by the development. We are really all part of one community. But I would like to represent our Hollymead neighbors to you. We are 468 families and individual residents. In, and we have uh, single-family homes, condos, and townhomes. Um, Hollymead's the... Um, the older brother of the developments in the Forest Lakes. Maruza gave this description of the development. Uh, it is a very block, Soviet-style construction, which is uh, will be seen from all over. The final speaker on the unified presentation was Jimmy Baranek, the current president of the Forest Lakes Community Association. For those of you that don't know, Forest Lakes is the largest homeowner association in Albemarle County, 1,500 homes. Uh, and about 5,000 residents. And as Paul mentioned previously, the means right in between us. So we're one big, happy neighborhood. Baranek thanked the other speakers who had taken the time to speak, as well as the hundreds who signed a petition against the development. In all, this total presentation took nearly an hour and a half. But the public hearing was not over, and many more had the chance to weigh in. Here's a selection of them. Crystal Passmore is a city resident who wanted to weigh in. And my comment today is just that I would like people to have homes. I want people to have affordable homes. I want people to live in the town where they work. I don't want people to have to commute from Rutgersville if they work in Charlottesville or if they work in downtown Albemarle. Um, I don't know anything about view sheds or intrusive lighting. I just want people to have homes they can afford. Passmore said the voices of those who would one day live in the development could not be heard under this arrangement. Everyone who's spoken before me has convinced me that this is like a lovely place to live. I would love it if you guys would allow more people to live here. A few more city residents spoke in favor of the project, including Josh Karp. He questioned the notion that the new development would hurt property values. I think it's more important that people have affordable housing than that property values continue to go up. I checked out the, the, the property values in the area, and these houses in your neighborhood are worth half a million dollars plus. If you want to deny affordable housing to maximize pro- property values for people who, who have that much money, maybe you can come to my kids' daycare and explain to the teachers why they can't live in the area. 
Many opponents of the project had cited the county's comprehensive plan. City resident Rory Stolzenberg read other portions. First, uh, land use objective five, promote density within the development areas to help create new compact urban places. Encourage developers to build at the higher end of the density range on greenfield sites, provided that development will be in keeping with design recommendations in the neighborhood model. Encourage developers to build within the density range recommended in the master plans on infill sites. Um, ensure that housing is equally available to all populations. City resident Matt Gillikin called attention to the organized opposition from Forest Lakes residents. It's really remarkable to see how consistently affluent neighborhoods in the county gather their resources together to fight against housing for people who don't have the resources they have. After those four spoke, another previous speaker got the opportunity to speak again in violation of the rules of procedure, which Julian Bivens would correct. Hello, my name is Jimmy Brannick. I spoke earlier. I just want to point out we are not opposed to uh, underfunding anybody. We're not opposed to um, having people that can't afford wages in our neighborhood. We are opposed to the buildings. That's what we said, We the building environment. We need just need to read to overhaul the plan. I want to make sure everyone's crystal Mr. clear. Mr. Brannick, Mr. Yeah. Brannick, oh. thank you very much. Thank you. Okay. Jason Inafuentes, a former member of the Pantops Community Advisory Committee, spoke in favor of the project. Affordable housing is an imperative that cannot be set aside for the interests of a select few homeowners. The development would represent an incredible value across 30 years to those that aren't in a position to buy a well-manicured lawn on a quarter-acre lot. And that was the end of the public hearing. You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement and a special long-form edition about a public hearing before the Albemarle County Planning Commission on Tuesday, March 2nd. After a brief recess, Valerie Long had five minutes to respond to all of what she had heard according to the rules of procedure. Obviously, we cannot in five minutes rebut all of the comments that were made tonight. So first, let me say that we have very clear responses and rebuttals to absolutely every single point that was made in opposition. Long sought to address concerns about the traffic input, the visibility of the buildings from existing neighborhoods, and claims of full clear-cutting. So the images that you saw from the criticisms of the project are entirely inaccurate. After more explanations, Schaefer informed Long that she was over time. Your five minutes is up. I took a quick screenshot when this was up, um, proposed. Uh, you can see they've taken out the trees in the median. They've taken out all of the trees along here. They've taken out the trees off the VDOT parcel. That's just inaccurate and does not accurately reflect the project. Your five minutes is up. Thank you. Um, we You're would, welcome. again, be happy to respond to any questions from any members of the commission that we may not have had a chance to address, including school capacity. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. After nearly three hours, the planning commissioners had the chance to discuss the matter. Commissioner Jenny Moore went first as she prepared to ask a question. And I just want to be clear that I want to figure out a way to get to yes. 
Moore asked another question about the view from the development. She wanted to see a slide that Long had briefly shown during her rebuttal. I guess there's a more generous area there than I had imagined. And seeing that slide from her helped me understand the possibilities with buffering that could happen there. However, the slide was not shown, and Long was not offered a chance to respond. During a series of questions from commissioners about the affordability components of the project, staff responded about county policy. At one point, Scott Copeland with RST sought to make a clarifying point. Mr. Chairman, can I address the question about the affordability? No, thank you. Not right. Thank you. Thank you very much. The planner for the project, Andy Reitelbach, was invited to respond. Regarding the new proposal that Ms. Long uh, presented this evening, that hasn't been submitted to staff yet, so I really can't say um, on the 75%. I believe she mentioned what those numbers are. I haven't seen any plan or anything like that, so I don't know if Ms. Long may be able to um, expand on that more. Long was not given the chance to respond. The University of Virginia's non-voting representative on the Planning Commission, Louis Carazana, wanted to know more about how stormwater would be treated on the property. I don't remember seeing a, a topo in the application, uh, but we did see one from, from the, uh, the residents. Reitelbach responded and said that they did have that information in the packet. And there is... Uh, at least conceptual stormwater management facilities up here in the northeast corner of the site. I know our county engineer has reviewed um, at least the conceptual grading and stormwater management and had no objections, but stormwater management is something that would have to be addressed at site plan stage and would have to meet all of the um, state requirements. Commissioner Karen Firehawk said she had hoped for a more innovative proposal that went further to mitigate stormwater by allowing more open space. I'm very supportive of the need for affordable housing in our community. I am really disappointed at the notion that that means that we have to sacrifice green space and adequate recreation area. Firehawk said she was inclined to recommend denial but also reminded everyone watching that the Planning Commission's vote is advisory. And the developer would certainly have ample opportunity to amend their application uh, once it leaves the Planning Commission, whether we end up voting for it or against it. Thank you. Commissioner Corey Claiborne was concerned about one aspect of infrastructure he thought was lacking in the proposal. I was a little concerned I didn't hear anything about public transit and just this notion to kind of work with the county, if we're going to have all these affordable housing units, there's no public transit there. Do we just leave it alone? Do we just turn a blind eye to it? To step out of the meeting for just a second, in the current fiscal year, Albemarle County is contributing $87,500 toward creation of a regional transit vision, as well as an additional $53,107 toward a... Feasibility Study, an Implementation Plan for Expanded Transit Service to Population and Employment Centers within Albemarle County. Last week, members of the Regional Transit Partnership were told by TJPDC staffer Jessica Hirsch-Ballering that the goal of the study was to inform a second grant application to pay for funding of an actual project. This information was not conveyed to the Planning Commission at the time. 
Commissioner Rick Randolph represented the Scottsville District on the Board of Supervisors from 2016 to 2019. He compared the proposed project to an infamous public housing project in Chicago. Is 20 years from now, what will this development look like? Will it be another project like Cabrini Green in Chicago? Randolph said the project would supply affordable housing, but fell short on one intangible metric. They didn't satisfy the need of a community to have a soul. And there is my concern here. I can't find a soul to this project. Randolph also said that the residents would need to be responsible for covering the cost of maintaining certain services, and he was skeptical that they could do so. There needs to be clarity here how residents can afford to maintain the roads within this community, plow them when it snows, and to cover the annual costs through their HOA fees for pool and exercise facilities when now 75% of the units are going to be affordable housing. Where does the money come from? Commissioner Moore said she was frustrated that details about the affordability for the units were not made available before the hearing. When you bring us brand new information, especially when it's really important information that's a change of substance, the night of planning commission, I think it is something that's You know, it's great to add to the conversation, but it leaves staff, you know, not able to respond because he hasn't had that submitted. And then it leaves us with questions about something that I think is key and is really important. The public hearing had lasted over two hours, with the Forest Lakes Community Association getting almost 90 minutes of consecutive time. The level of public comment, which is great also does tend to wear us down a little bit. So then maybe we aren't asking the great questions we could ask. We have staff here that can answer stuff about traffic and these type of things. And and I think that's too bad because like I said before, I really would like to figure out how to get to yes. After Moore's comment, Bivens asked commissioners what they wanted to do. Here's Commissioner Corey Claiborne. I move to recommend uh, denial of ZMA 2020 00007 RST residences for the reasons stated in the staff report and the reasons uh, stated within the, uh, the conversation that we've had amongst the commission. Second. Was that seconded by Rick? Yes. At this point in a regular in-person meeting, the applicant's representative might stand to request a deferral, which means no vote at that point. A vote by the Planning Commission to recommend denial does not kill a project, but supervisors often follow the lead of the advisory body. Uh, Ms. Long, is your hand up for is your hand up for a pressing matter here? Yes, Mr. Chairman. Thank you. Um, we, you know, obviously, there's been a lot of comments made. I will reiterate: we are prepared to address all those if asked. Uh, um, but if that is not the preference of the commission tonight. We would be more than happy to um, take the comments that we've received tonight and go back and amend our plans and certainly update the affordable housing, work on the uh, precise location of the transit. And so that's so I thought you were asking about something else, but that's not what we're doing. I'm sorry, I didn't. 
So, so you're asking about you will take whatever we decide and you'll go forward. I thought you might be asking for us a, a different kind of situation. No, in fact, Mr. Chairman, I, I think we would like to request a deferral at this point so that we can take the comments that we've received tonight and see if we can do our best to address those so that we could come back to you with an application that hopefully could uh, gain your support and recommendations. After a few minutes of parliamentary procedure, the motion to defer was adopted unanimously. Commissioners had some parting comments. Here's Karen Firehawk again. I do think this development can be fixed in terms of the things that we have recommended. I I just think that we need a a much more quality development with more green space, more attention to fitting in with the character of the neighborhood, public transportation. And here's Julian Bivens. You've heard the thoughts and and the cares of the planning commission and I think I can say that each of us want this to be a successful project. But many of us felt that we were not provided with enough information for us to to fall directly in in, in the most positive way of supporting uh, supporting the project. Bivens urged the developer to meet with community members on the project. But when this project comes back to the commission, Will any of the changes be enough to get their support? Will anything less than single-family homes meet their concerns? These are all unknowns, and I don't have any of the answers. I took the time to produce this because I do think it's important to realize that there's multiple perspectives in all of this. And How do we as a community fit all of this together to get the things that we have said, at least in principle, that we want? What happens with these land use applications as they come forward? And Can the process be improved slightly better to make sure everybody has information? What lessons did we learn from the pandemic? What happens when we go back to in-person meetings? Again, I don't know the answers to these questions, but I'm here to hopefully capture it and bring it to you so you can make up your own mind. That's really all I'm here for. I'm Sean Tubbs, your host of this program, and as I said, we'll be back tomorrow with a slightly smaller version of this program. If you have benefited from this, please send it around. Feel free to ask me questions. Try to get to you. Thank you for listening, and please stay safe out there. 